as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Good morning. Seems like I've been here a lot lately. <laughs> Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful time of year where we celebrate the incarnation. A big word for God taking on flesh and coming into our world because of love. Now, Father, we thank you for the scripture that has been read. We ask it would speak to us, that we would learn from it, that we'd be transformed by it and your Holy Spirit. We give you this time and ask you to speak through my words. In Jesus' name, amen. First, a little bit of an announcement. Uh, as you can see in your bulletin, we do have a candidate for executive pastor, and he will be candidating on Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th. So it's just around the corner, two weeks from now. Um, his name is David Groves. I won't give you the full thing. He is currently chief of police in Hartford, Connecticut. Yes, we told you. We're either going to get a pastor with business experience or we're going to get somebody who has an administrator with strong... Uh, church backgrounds. He's a pastor's son and a volunteer administrator at the church that he attends now, and he will be retiring. The reason we are not giving all the details the way we normally do is because he's a very well-known and very well-loved um, um, police chief who has just announced his retirement, by the way. Um, but uh, there's already been quite a bit of publicity and leaks. And so we're trying to contain that so that we don't get the newspaper and reporters here, okay? So anyway, we're pretty excited about that. I know I am because uh, Pastor Jim's position has been open for a year, and then uh, this position offers promise to really help us do ministry. Well, let's get on to the Matthew, and uh, I want to tell you a story first. I was at a high school track meet. I believe my son was running at it, either that, they all sort of blur together, one of the kids from the church. And there's a number of years ago, and one of the kids there from another school that I didn't know, but I knew about him, was a very fast 100-meter sprinter. In fact, he had the state record for high school. And they lined them all up on the blocks, and when they fired the starting pistol, um, he did a jump to get off there, and the blocks broke. And the blocks slid back on the track. And he fell down and skinned his knee and got up, up really quickly, considering that the block did not hold, and yet only took fourth place and didn't qualify for the final race to see who would qualify for state. He was out. Well, the rules people came over and they looked at it. They looked at the thing and they said that the equipment had simply failed. He had not set it up wrong. It had been a failure in the equipment. They said, we'll put you in the next heat. And he was excited. By the way, he blew them away. And uh, I think my son was there, and he's like four steps behind him. He was really fast. 
And he did go on to win the state. But I think of that because he was sitting there moping around so depressed. And then all of a sudden they said, you're still in. And this new start, this freshness, when we think something is gone to get it back, this is what we're talking about today. We have to understand that the Gospel of Matthew is written by the guy who's talking about his call in this story. The author is talking about himself. Now he's talking about himself, not as if he gives it away, but we understand this is the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was that Roman tax collector. Well, he was Jewish, but he worked for Rome. And this is his story. And so it should be an inspiration to us. As we get into it, we'll learn more about his story and how he's trying to tell us that what happened to him can happen to literally anyone. And I think that is his big point. Our background is on Roman tax collectors. Now, we've mentioned this many times because the text talks about them a lot. Indeed, Matthew talks about tax collectors many times because he knew the business very well from the inside. But the Romans had a tax farming system is what they called it. In Latin, the people who would collect taxes in the provinces at this time were called publicani, or in the King James, publicans. And these were people who would bid on the right to collect taxes. You see, Rome tried to do head taxes. They tried to do all kinds of excise taxes. But as they got out in the provinces, they just couldn't really do it right. And so they would bid how much money you would collect for the area. And then they'd give you different ways you could tax to be able to collect it. And so someone would bid, I bid 10 million for Kenosha. Another one bid, I can collect 20 million for Kenosha. And you have to understand, it would be as if Russia had taken over the U.S. and one of us was bidding to collect taxes to give to Russia for Kenosha. Now you got it? Because he was Jewish, but he either worked for a guy or had won the bid to collect taxes from his fellow people. And there were some rules, but the final rule is anything you collect above the amount you bid, you get to keep. And by the way, most of the bankers back then were tax collectors. And that's why sometimes we see them both looked down upon in the New Testament, because that was the culture of it. So here is Matthew, who is considered a traitor by the rest of his Jewish people for either doing a bid or working for somebody who collects taxes for Rome. And he is sitting there in a booth, probably collecting excise taxes at the very time and settling accounts with people. When Jesus come by and said, follow me, like he did to so many other people. Now, obviously, Matthew had heard of Jesus. He was not living in a hole in the ground. And obviously, the fact that he would get up and do, he was enamored with him and had paid attention and maybe even heard him speak before. But he certainly had heard stories of stories. But when Jesus came by, even though he's in his business, he just left it all behind and followed Jesus. You have to understand the cost this would have been financially to him and a whole different change. And so we see that the tax collectors were often combined together with tax collectors and other sinners, people that do not have any moral integrity. 
So this is our background, just to understand it. And Matthew is telling us this because he's not celebrating his past. He's telling people where he came from and what Jesus did to him. And so he was one of those people that was motivated by money more than by people. He was one of those people who'd make money any way he could, even if it got into blurred lines or even black, far beyond gray. The first point I think Matthew is teaching us is that no one is too sinful to be saved by Jesus. No one has gone too far. No one has failed too greatly. Matthew tells the stories of people that we would not expect to be transformed by Jesus, of people that Jesus seeks out that no one else was seeking out, of people that Jesus was talking to with respect that everyone else would disdain. And now we get to his story, and he tells it like it is. And he says, it was even when I was about doing my sin that Jesus came to me and said, leave it and come with me. No one. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And simply, Matthew got up and followed him. There's these pictures on walls. Everyone has them, family pictures, people smiling. I remember one in particular in somebody's home. It looks so, so pristine, so Norman Rockwell. But I was in there because it was a crisis. It was anything but pristine. That snapshot did not describe that family at all. In fact, I don't know how they got them to stand there and smile. But as you look closer, you could see that some of the smiles were pasted on. And at least one of them was there out of fear of not smiling. And so you have to learn to look closer, don't we? Sometimes we stereotype people. And Matthew, we'd say, well, he is just completely given over to doing whatever it takes to put himself first. There's no way he would be open to it. That picture would be wrong too. We take a camera, we take a picture of him sitting in the tax booth doing his ways. And we'd say, no, nobody would go to him. Everybody would stay away from him. They'd make fun of him, but not to his face because they'd be afraid he would retaliate. But that picture is wrong too. Because there he is at the tax collecting booth with his heart open to God and ready to learn, and ready to give up everything he had done in the past for a different way. Indeed, he would follow Jesus, write a gospel, and if history serves us right, die for Jesus, because he would not betray the one who called him out of his sin and made him a saint. So we don't give up on anyone And we have to trust the Spirit. I believe that when Jesus was in this world, he put aside, even though he is very God of very God, he put aside and chose not to exercise the God card. I don't think he ever played it, by the way, when he came into this world, ever. You know, we sing that song that he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, he didn't need angels, did he? 
He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the one that speaks and things come into existence. So what happens here? How did he heal people if he never played the God card? How did he know what was going on inside of other people? I think the scripture tells us that he did it the same way we would do it, by relying on the Holy Spirit. He could have done the miraculous there, but he followed the Spirit's leading, and he looked further and saw something. And there Jesus looked out and saw someone differently than we often look. And he trusted the Spirit, and he talked to him, and he said, come away. And this follow me is a whole different thing. It's mean, come with me, leave behind, travel with me. Matthew understood this. And he was going to go on the road, and he didn't know for how long. And Matthew, if he was one reached out to, anyone could be. There are others that were unlikely. Four fishermen, um, not known to be highly educated, not known to be that clean because of their business. Certainly not people who would you expect to found a church and to teach other people foundational truths. And yet these people who did not have the training that you would expect of a leader became great leaders and teachers. Simon, a zealot, you know the zealots used to carry a small sword on their person and swear an oath to kill Roman leaders whenever they saw them and could get away with it. And so they had to always be prepared to assassinate a Roman. Well, that's a little over the top, isn't it? Jesus called Simon the zealot and taught him there's a different way than carrying a sword to change this world. The whole collection of people, there's not one person that would stand out in this world to be the type of person we'd expect to be chosen. And yet he saw something different in them. And so we trust the Spirit. So when we're going through our life and we see people we'd want to look down upon, when we see people doing things that are wrong, to not always judge and think they're lost cases. Oh, they're lost. But that is a potential brother or sister in Christ. And to listen to the Spirit and sometimes be ready to go to those people who are the least likely, because Matthew's story is that Jesus came to him. He was not the only tax collector. Also Zacchaeus was another one that Jesus went to and called away from his lifestyle. Our second point is that sometimes we need to go out to bring people in. One of the problems in the American church today is this service. You say, what's wrong with this service? Nothing wrong with it. The problem is when we expect this to be our outreach. This is not our outreach. Now, I've seen dozens, literally dozens and dozens of people come to Christ while I've been preaching, and they told me afterwards. And that's great, but you know why? Because somebody invited them to church. Or because somebody's grandmother was praying for them. Or somebody told them about this church. There's been so many other things that went into place before that happened. People don't go by and say, oh, that's a pretty building. Let's just wander inside and see what happens. And so this is the rarity. A lot of these people have connected 
strongly with other people. Maybe they have somebody they respect. Maybe they work with you and they see something different about you. And so here is a place we proclaim the gospel and we're not ashamed of that. But if this is our primary evangelism, we've got a flaw in the system because we're leaving so many people out. Just the people in our rooms, this room, and then the video cafe that we'll be listening to this in an hour, just the people in this room, the number of people you know and contact that need Jesus is astronomical if we were added up. We could not fill this entire building with all the people you know who need Jesus. They would overflow. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. What? Wait a second. Okay. First he called him there. Jesus had to know this was going to get him in trouble. Right? Notorious tax collector and traitor. Let's go to dinner at your house. While he's having dinner. And he did get into trouble for this. The religious leaders of the day, we would never. Do you understand that? We would never. And that's a big problem. I have a picture of my grandfather's biography that Warren Wiersbe wrote where he was visiting some of the missionaries that graduated from Moody while he was president. And he sat down and one of the witch doctors, they'd just given up headhunting, put a skull on his knee. So he's sitting there cross-legged in the dirt in a hut with somebody's skull that they had eaten on his knee. This guy was not yet a Christian. He came to Christ about a year later through the ministry of these people. But that's a strange place to be at a chief and witch doctor's hut sitting there through translators talking about Jesus when they still don't understand what you're talking about enough so they're superstitious that in some way they had to put a skull in some way they thought that was a good thing. But I love that picture. I absolutely love that picture. A couple came to my former church and she was of an animist Muslim background um, her family members were some were Hindu. Um, one of them was a practicing witch doctor in Africa who immigrated to the U.S. and still practiced it. Mother was a devout Muslim. And because of the things that it had done and the benefit that she saw in their life coming to church and the counseling I had done, they invited us to dinner. Now, this is an interesting thing because it's a devout Muslim home with a witch doctor brother sitting here, a Hindu sitting over there. And we get from eating to talking about religious things. And you know, we did not agree a lot. But I still remember this guy that I was, said everybody should be frightened of, this guy practicing witch doctor. He was so hungry for the truth. He was not ready to give up his things because he was also enamored with spiritual power. And that's problematic. But I got to half for half an hour share the gospel with this guy, this man. Not too long later, he went back to Africa when his immigration papers failed. 
But when I went there, I said, man, there's nothing that's going to be on my diet. I just put on this new diet. Nothing there. It was nothing there. I had to bust my diet wide open. I paid for it for two days. I regret it not a bit. Not a bit. It was wonderful food, by the way. It's just that even the dessert had curry in it. Yeah, my, my sentiments exactly. And some people love that and some don't. But you notice where Jesus went to have dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, people recognized as sinners by the people around them, came and ate with him and his disciples. You see, Matthew not only invited him over, he invited all of his friends, all of the outcasts that no one else would invite over, and they were all there together. And so Jesus was not just with this tax collector who had given up his ways, but with anyone who would come. And they all had stories. And eating with someone in their day was a big thing. It implied a closeness and an openness. And yet Jesus did it. He went out to bring in. And the mission of the church is similar or like that of Jesus. It's not the same because Jesus came to purchase salvation. We come and go out to point people to Jesus. But it really is the same thing. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go. Go. Our third point is the similarities between sin and sickness. When the Pharisees saw this, Jesus eating with these sinful people, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus told similar stories. Remember the story of the hundred lambs, 99 that are safe and one that is lost, and how he left the 99 to go after the other. Here we're talking about the similarities between sin and sickness. Now I know it's not all the same. Jesus is not meaning to take away sinners' responsibility for their sin by saying they couldn't help it. He is playing off the contagion of sin, how catching it is, and the need for outside assistance. Some of you don't like to go to the doctor. You get sick enough, you probably will. And this is a disease that we cannot help ourselves. We can't self-medicate. We can't eat differently until it's gone. The disease of sin is fatal. And like other diseases, it requires outside help. And that is how he's playing off it. We see Jesus talking about this another time in Matthew 13 where he's quoting from Isaiah 6. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn 
and I would heal them. Hmm. You see, again, he talks about sin as something that needs to be healed. But he talks about some people that are blind and deaf to their own sin. And so Jesus is not letting the religious leaders off the hook. I hope you understand this. They certainly understood it. I don't think they sat back and said, oh, well, we're healthy, so we don't need a doctor. I think they caught on to this and said, what, what, what? Are you thinking we should admit that we need a doctor too? We need a spiritual doctor? Us, the teachers, us, the leaders, us that straighten you guys out? I need help? Yeah, I think they got that. It's one of the reasons they got so angry when he would talk like this. He was not letting them off the hook because it's very clear that everyone suffers from this same problem. Who needs a doctor? Everyone needs a doctor spiritually. One of the more quoted verses of the Old Testament, the Psalms, there is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone has gone his own way. And so we see Jesus coming down a couple chapters earlier in Matthew 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is what he told the religious leaders of their day. You are calling other people to repent, but you need to repent first. And they had so changed the Old Testament prophecies that were supposed to prepare people for Jesus. They were almost unintelligible in their teaching. And in a day where very few people read and were dependent upon their reading and expositing the scriptures, these people had led people astray and changed the clear meaning of scripture into something other. Something other. Fourth point, beware of hollow or empty religion. Jesus told them, but go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. That's a rabbinic or rabbinical, a rabbi's formula. In their day, people would say this to students. And it is a bit sardonic. It's a little caustic. It's a little cutting when he teaches the teachers with, go and learn what this means. Because that's what they were supposed to say. You understand that? He's not being soft on these dudes. He's just delivering it so that it stings a minute later. My dear daughter-in-law made me some pecans that were hot. One was spicy and one are sweet for Christmas. And I ate one and said, well, they're not bad at all. 30 seconds later, well, maybe I'm taking that back. A minute later, where's the water? 
It's a slow burn. They're delicious, by the way. Jesus is not so much delicious unless you're listening. If you want to listen, if you want to hear, you want to see, if you want to understand, it becomes delicious because this is the truth that sets you free. It may lay bare your condition, but how many people don't want to know their condition physically when they go to a doctor so that you can actually treat it? How many of us want them to lie to us all the way to our graves? And so we see a rabbinic formula. And this quote from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's a common actual saying that goes many different ways, but this is the direct quote from Hosea. The English word mercy um, translates the Hebrew word chesed. Yes, I do have to do that. It's a hard sound. A lot of those in Hebrew. It may sound funny, but it means loving kindness, covenant love, unbreakable love, undeserved love. It's one of the most loaded words, if not the most loaded word in the Hebrew language. It's not used lightly, but praise the Lord, it's used often. And so he desires mercy. There are times when people are doing acts, but God wants people to be transformed. He doesn't care so much about whether we get everything just right. He wants to know that our soul is right with him. Then our acts of devotion, our acts of worship become something valuable. I knew a couple where the husband would always say, I love you to his wife. And every time she said it, he said it, she would wince. Want to know why? Because she didn't trust it. He only said it with his mouth. He didn't live it with his life. In between insults, unrealistic expectations, yelling, throwing things, telling her how worthless she was as a wife and mother, he would say, I love you. And every time it was like a slap because it did not feel genuine, did it? Can you understand God looking at us when we try and get everything just right, going through our rituals? But I went to church, but I prayed, but I did this. Jesus would say, there'd be people who say, I cast out demons, I proclaim the gospel. He said, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. It has to come from the inside out. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're so concerned with not eating with certain people that you have forgotten that the Old Testament is all about saving souls. It's all about a relationship with God. Well, let's add this up. It's a simple passage, one we can understand rather readily. The first thing is if you need to start fresh with God today. It does not matter how many sins you have committed. 
does not matter what roads you've gone down. If today Jesus calls to you and says, follow me, give up your old ways, if you say, I repent, I believe in you, you can start anew. We do have to admit our need. You see, Matthew had something on the teachers. He recognized that he was sinful. They all were sinful, but Matthew knew he was sinful. And it was rotting his soul. So if we do as Matthew says, and if we look to Jesus and believe he's the solution, that he went to the cross to take our sins, and if we ask to be forgiven, he will say, follow me. Start fresh. And maybe you are already a believer, but you've wandered away from him. He'll call you back. Second suggestion, start praying positively, not negatively, for those who are farthest from Jesus. Not, oh, God, curse that person who's so wicked. I know sometimes it feels like you want to pray that prayer. But look at some of the people that appear farthest away. Sometimes the people that appear farthest away are actually closest. And I've told you some of my stories of people that came to God that I never expected. And people that I've prayed for in my list that I have that I pray for people with dozens of people on there. By the way, it used to be hundreds. I keep adding to the list, but I keep seeing people come to Christ from those people I prayed for. And there's a whole bunch of those that every time I pray for, it's like, oh man, this seems like I'm asking too much. But no. No. Some of those come to Christ. Good friend of mine, my last church, was an avowed atheist, ran an atheist website back when websites were cool. Until all his study of the non-existence of God led him right to Jesus. And all his defaming Christians who would engage him in chat all of their grace showed him that God can transform people. And when he was being mean to them, they were being gracious to him. And he said, what do they have? And they kept saying, it's Jesus. This is what led him to Jesus. Check your religion for authenticity. I'm glad you have religious disciplines. I read my Bible daily. I pray many times a day. I come to church. Of course, you pay me. (laughs) But these things only matter if I know God from the heart. They're only beautiful, like saying I love you, if I'm honest about my failings and seeking to follow God. Check your religion for authenticity. If it's not authentic, go to the top and start fresh. To God be the glory.